Well, welcome everyone. I think this is week nine or ten of our uh, COVID saga here going on. Uh, but we, once again, we're doing some sermon review after uh, Kyle's excellent sermon from Daniel chapter six. This is actually my favorite chapter of my favorite book of the Bible, and it's, it has been my entire life. Of course, when I was a child, it's because I loved hero stories, I loved adventure stories, and my name was Daniel, so I could just see myself as the, the character of Daniel. And then I, as I got a little bit older, uh, and I became interested in empires and world history, seeing this you know, believer in, in the middle of all these ups and downs of world events was really exciting. But then as I grew even more mature theologically, seeing this all about the sovereignty of God, the rise and fall of empires, of world events outside anyone's control but God's, and then just realizing that God's just looking down on it all, like, hey, it's all going according to my plan, and I just require you to be faithful. That's all I require. So it's uh, still my favorite book of the Bible, and it, Kyle's been doing such a great job uh, of expositing this. So we'll start out with my first uh, question. I'm not going to introduce everybody because everybody should know us by now, and you can look it up elsewhere if you wonder who, who these three talking heads are. Uh, but Kent, uh, what are, are just where some of the things you appreciate about this sermon? Um, so I really like the introduction when he said, um, Jesus alone makes sense of the lion's den. And mm -hmm. so when you look at this text with, with the framework of God's redemption and you see that um, uh, kind of narrative of salvation and, and at the, his conclusion of his applications really kind of landed and he said that God has a track record of rescuing people from the pit. So to me that really kind of spoke about the pit that I deserved, the hell that I deserved, uh, the condemnation that I merited that Jesus Christ paid the debt for and saved me from. So uh, it was just a fantastic exposition and um, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I just it was great that he didn't turn it into a moralistic lesson mm. and that was just fantastic. So I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say the same thing, that Jesus alone makes sense. Mm, yeah. uh, and, and that stuck out with me. And then as he got to the, uh, like I said, I don't want to go too deep also, but uh, the, the, uh, how it's like Christ, the burial, and, and I just once again got focused on that, and I'm still chewing that over in my mind. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm just so thankful that he didn't abuse this text mm, in a moralistic yes. way. Oh, exactly. I mean, again, this is consistent. You're seeing Kyle model our, our philosophy yeah. of uh, exposition here. He, and he even said, listen, I'm not gonna, I don't have any points for this outline. I'm just going to walk through the text, yeah. explain mm -hmm. it historically, culturally, so you understand what's going on here, and then some practical applications, and then, of course, always bringing it to the gospel. I was just uh, corresponding back and forth with someone who had just started watching some of our sermons and panel discussions, and even they noticed that we were gospel-centered. I'm like, I'm so glad to hear that because that's so intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle and I talk about this all the time, that it's a shame if we uh, uh, handle a passage well, we explain what's there, we even have some practical uh, applications for your life, but we don't direct you to Jesus, to the life-saving message of the gospel. We feel like we failed. Right. And, but th that doesn't mean that there's not a wrong, lazy, sloppy way to do it. Kyle modeled, uh, modeled for us today the, the proper way to get to Christ and the gospel through any text. And those of you, of you who have been on some of his emails as he was working through this know that there was a whole lot of other ways he could have gotten to Christ, yeah. and he just decided to focus on this one uh, here and now. And even as we were talking after the sermon, he had some other applications that would have been absolutely applicable to, yeah. to folks, especially different areas of life. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it just, it just shows that there's a wealth of, of stuff in the Bible. All right, well, Kyle alluded to it in the sermon. 
And uh, he, he mentioned to us that we need to be ready to talk about that. It, it's good. It's, it's a timeless truth that Christians, the people of God, need to, to grapple with regardless of whatever time period they're in. But especially now during our, our, our polarized political environment and then going enduring the COVID uh, crisis and then states and localities gradually changing policies over the next few weeks, uh, it's incredibly timely. So. The question is really a two-part question, and I'm going to go out of our normal um, protocol, and I'm going to I'm going to start off on this one. Um, I'm a little bit passionate about it, and then you guys can clean up okay. the theological errors I say, or add add the things yeah. that I forgot. That and the are, lawyer's going to go first. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, you know. There you go. I'm gonna, I reserve the right to go first on this one. So the, it's kind of a two-part question. First, uh, should we obey our governments, and when? I think we know that we should, but when should we obey? When should we disobey? So basically a general uh, question about the role of, of government and our response to it. And then specifically, uh, how should we obey in the COVID crisis? Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wade into that. And first let me uh, mention, not by way of bragging, plenty of people have more experience or more training in this area, but I just wanted to say that this isn't something that I've just started thinking, thinking about a couple of years ago. Like all of a sudden, the 2016 election happened, I discovered cable news, and now I'm obsessed with politics. I'm sure this will shock many of you to know that I was kind of a nerd back in junior high school. So. I've been following political current events and world events since I was in junior high, and yes, that was the early 90s. So, like Newt Gingrich and the contract with America, the Clinton scandals, all that stuff. I've been following politics pretty closely since then. In college, I studied social studies education, so I was training to teach government history and economics uh, in the secondary classroom. I didn't go to the classroom. I went to Washington, D.C. I worked for a, for a not really a lobbying organization, but an issue advocacy organization. I was in closed door meetings in the Capitol building. I got to see a lot of the behind the scenes and also translating into trying to get uh, voters activated. Went back home, got involved in local politics, eventually got elected to a local office. So I know the pressures of being a candidate and having to think, there's kind of what I think. Here's what my constituents want. Here's what the other party wants. Here's what you know my fellow party members want. There's a lot of di difficult decisions and pressures there. And then I, I, I was a lawyer. I went to law school. I've read hundreds of Supreme Court cases. I've studied the Constitution both on my own and as part of my training. I've had to grapple with that even in the practice of the law. So and trust me, there's plenty more people who are far more qualified than me with PhDs in the subject. I just say that to say I've been grappling for years uh, looking at the scriptures, thinking how do we as Christians think biblically about government? Um, and, and I have some pretty strong political opinions, and some of you might be shocked to know that because Kyle and I don't talk about our political opinions from the pulpit. Now, we, we will hit on even those hot-button issues of, of abortion, marriage, gender, and sexual morality, but we'll only say what the Bible says about that, and we're not always going to tell you how you should vote based on those issues. Other than that, uh, we're not going to preach that from the pulpit. And those of you who had the misfortune of getting me striking up a political conversation with me, no, I have some pretty strong opinions about this. But uh, this passage touches on that. Basically, one of the passage we talked about today is one of those exceptions to the rule of when you should obey government. Because if you look at the two main passages on this subject, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, they both say roughly the same thing, that the default general rule of a person of God is to obey the governmental authorities that they find themselves under. 
to obey them and to respect them. And it says that in both places, the purpose that God instituted those, that are not just a necessary evil, they were instituted by God, even though we know throughout history that governments can be used for evil, uh, their purpose is to restrain evil and to punish evil. They obviously, no per, uh, government uh, is perfect in that area, but that, that is their general purpose, and so we owe them general um, uh, obedience. Now, there, there are plenty of exceptions. There were the midwives back in Exodus who refused to basically abort or commit infanticide on the, the male babies born in Israel. And God approved of that, and he blessed them because they were willing to obey God and not kill innocent lives and disobey Pharaoh in the process. There were the wise men who, uh, they were told by King Herod to report back the location of Jesus to, to, to them, and they didn't. They, went, they were warned by God, and they went home a different way. Uh, there were obviously the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that Kyle preached about a while back. They were, they, were, they were participating in the Babylonian government. They were part of it, but when they were told, you must worship this idol, they said, sorry, that's as far as we can go. And then Daniel, as he was commanded not to pray, and he said, I'm just going to do the same thing I've always been doing. And like Kyle mentioned, he probably did not expect to survive that lion's den. And then Moses' parents as well. We could think of others. Um, but the exception is only when you're commanded to do what's wrong. The other great exception, Kyle uh, quoted the verse from it, is the apostles early on were forbidden by the Sanhedrin to continue to preach about Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, resurrection for sinners. And Peter and the rest of the apostles said, listen, we must obey God rather than men. We will obey you to the fullest extent we can, but we're not going to do that. And they were honest with that, and they were willing to accept the consequences of that. Well, uh, so that's, that's the general rule, and there are some very narrow exceptions that we should obey our government, respect our government, but for those few exceptions. Well, how does that apply to the, to the coronavirus? You know, a lot of different local governments, and there's a reason it's generally been local governments. Uh, it's because in, under the United States Constitution, police powers, those sweeping powers to uh, really uh, get interve intervene in your, our daily lives because of health and welfare and security and safety issues, those have been delegated to state and local governments. And so that's why you're seeing go governors on a state-by-state -state basis coming out with policies. Now, a lot of people are saying, hey, we're, we're commanded in Hebrews that we are to uh, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And of course, that is a command for believers that we are to regularly gather together. Now, there's an implicit reasonability exception in there, whenever possible. So those of some of you who've been in the military know that the best you can hope for sometimes is maybe a, a lightweight chapel service, or maybe you find one or two other believers, if that, and you just try to get together with them as, as well as you can. There's an implicit understanding that it's, it's when possible, as much as possible. So your normal day-to-day -day life, you find the best gathering of local believers around that you can commit yourselves to, and you do that. And unless you have a good reason not to, that becomes a, an issue of, of church discipline. Now, well, some people are, are sick, they're shut-ins, and they're not able to come, so that's an understood exception. If you're not physically able to go to the gathering, the church has a responsibility to try to care for you and reach out to you as much as they can. But we, so we see that there are exceptions to that as well. I and mean, then here, this is one of those areas where it's a, it's a, this isn't the first time that there have been plagues and, and communicable diseases in, in history. And so when we're not being singled out as religious or institutions, we should comply with, with reasonable health uh, and safety requests from our government or even commands um, as long as we're not being singled out. Now, some of you have noticed there have been some high profile instances right here in Kentucky. The mayor of Louisville made some generally applicable rules about public gatherings that also applied to churches. And then one church decided to be creative in Louisville and host a drive-in 
church service. And the mayor decided to try to, to single them out, and the courts immediately struck that down. Why? Because there's a First Amendment, that we have a freedom in our country under our laws to assemble for worship and to practice our faith. And when the government went, uh, ceased to just generally uh, look after health and then signal out a religious entity, that became a First Amendment issue. So that, that, that should hopefully help there. And, and of course, Kyle and I, we've been working through that. We want to just, we want to uh, keep people safe. We have people in our, uh, our congregation who either are elderly or they have weakened immune systems. And then we just also want to have a good testimony and we want to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so we've been complying with that. Most of the churches, pretty much all the churches in the area haven't. But there's, that's not the only side of the story. That is having some real economic uh, impact on people's lives. Now, those of us in the Army who still have a steady paycheck, there are people out there whose livelihood is from their own business, and they hire people. People are counting on them for their livelihood. And so you can see even, and this is across party lines, both blue states and red states, governors are saying, okay, we've, we've got things under control to some extent. We think the healthcare system can respond. Now we want to gradually open up businesses. But you'll also notice they're still recommending measures. So this isn't just open season, do whatever you want. It's saying, hey, because that's a factor, we still need to be cautious and do these certain protective measures until uh, the virus works itself out. Unfortunately, it's great to hear that, that there are treatments coming out here, more effective ways of treating those who have the virus. And then hopefully, Lord willing, within by the end of the year or early next year, there'll be some sort of a vaccine for the most vulnerable. But you, we're not in sin by putting a hold to our corporate gatherings uh, it's out of health and safety concerns and out of a concern to want to uh, comply with our local government. So, and we could, we could encourage all of you to please be praying for your elders as we decide when to open up. And then if, if we do open up to, to people to be able to come here in person and gather, what type of restrictions we should ask people to comply with just to be, in order to be safe. Now, some of you might think they're not strong enough. Some of you might think they're completely unnecessary, but we would just ask you to defer uh, to the judgment of your elders. And if you still don't feel comfortable for health reasons uh, to gather with us once we start having gatherings, that is okay. These are special times, special circumstances. We've heard from a lot of you that you are just desperate to, to have that kind of actual in-person fellowship. And of course, we, that's our heart desire too, but we have to work through lots of different factors, like the fact that we have a larger converse, uh, co congregation than many churches and a teeny tiny auditorium. So that's been one of the limiting factors. But I, pray that, I just hope that you'll all be praying for us as we think about how we can gradually start getting back to normal and what we need to be doing to love our neighbors uh, in the meantime. Uh, one of the big takeaways from all of this, we, we know the, the biblical role of government, um, uh, that we need to obey it whenever possible, except for those limited circumstances. We especially need to be um, uh, mindful of that during a health crisis like that. And one of the roles of government is that area. But one of the big takeaways we just hope that you have is that we need to have love for one another. Uh, it's okay to have strong views. I have strong political views. Many of you have strong political views. But we always need to remember that God's command to love everyone doesn't, doesn't have an exception for, except people who have ridiculous political views in your opinion. Uh, we need to love each other uh, in the household of faith. We need to love our neighbors. And of course, we know from the parable that everyone that we come in contact with is our neighbor, and even our enemies. Even if you do think that you, you, someone of a different political viewpoint is to some extent your enemy, you're still supposed to love them and pray for them, just so, just so you know. Now, uh, we can rejoice in this country that we have the ability to influence our government. That is, so many Christians for generations before us 
had absolutely no, little to no influence over their government. And in the United States, certainly not a perfect nation, never has been. But we have the ability to express our opinion. We have the ability to vote. Uh, we have uh, the right to donate to political campaigns. We can even run for office. People in our church have actually done that and are even serving in local government here. So we can, we can have an impact. Use it wisely. Use it lovingly. So avoid the, some of the COVID extremes out there. Some people, uh, it is not a hoax. This is a, a, a serious illness. It's more serious than the flu. Um, but it's also not the end of the world. Uh, we can get through this. Um, and even though, unfortunately, even the experts, we're, we're still getting more information, but even the experts don't have all the information out there. But of course, decisions still need to be made, even in the absence of perfect information. So uh, just avoid the extremes of thinking there's nothing here to be concerned about, it's a complete hoax, or that it's the end of the world and we should all panic. Uh, we should have caution, but not give in to conspiracy theories. So be careful what you post on social media. Be, uh, beware that maybe some justified skepticism in government and authority leads you into just being unrealistic or uh, unkind. Uh, and then who would have thought that wearing a cloth mask over your face has become this new touch point in American politics? And I can tell you this, when, when we do start opening up, I'm sure some sort of a request uh, or at least you know, encouraging people to consider masks is going to be a part of that. And I know some people just, you, you just resent, you're kind of like me, you've got that Irish side in you, and you just don't like being told what to do, especially us guys with that Y chromosome. We're just born with authority issues. So someone telling you to do something makes you not want to do that, and I, I understand that. But here's the thing, it's, maybe it's not wearing a cloth mask isn't a cure-all, but if you've ever seen your breath on a, on a cold day, you see all the moisture that your breath is constantly putting into the, the air around you. We know the virus can live on moisture in the air for at least several minutes and that it can live on surfaces for hours. So again, it stands to reason that when you can't social distance, be six feet apart, or you've got a lot of people nearby, that wearing a mask could at least help. If a lot of people are doing that, it could at least slow, if not stop, uh, the spread. Now, some of you um, th this is your inner, your opportunity, as the kids say, to let out your inner Karen. Now, I, I think that's terrible because my mom's name is Karen, and she does not act like the Karen. She is a gracious uh, person and not up in everybody's business. But some of you just, you look for reasons to, to be judgmental of other people or to look down on them or you, ways that you can show that you're with it and that you can virtue signal. Please don't let up where your virtue conviction signal. that you should wear a mask become a source of pride for you. So let's all just love one another. Let's, let's think carefully uh, and with faith about what's best for us, for our families, um, and even consider about when we finally do start opening up to public service, when and how you should participate in that. And just please, even if you don't appreciate all the, the requests that your elders make of you, just please, we just encourage you to be gracious with that as we try to do uh, what, what's best there. Well, you know what? I've hit a lot of topics. I'm going to let these brothers speak. I'm sure they have a lot better things to say. But really, I felt, as I was looking over just this morning, those two key passages on, on, on how we should think about our role with government. I love how Peter, in his passage, the very last verse of that passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he just finishes with these two to three word sentences. These little pithy, you could call them slogans or sound bites even, that just say so much. We could almost make these into memes. Those of you I know who are really into your, your memes out there, these would be maybe God-honoring ones that aren't in your face as much. He says, honor everyone. 
Honor everyone. Your default position should be to show respect to other people. Even if you think their political views are ridiculous, even if you think that they're in some ways harmful, you need to show respect to everyone. That should be your default position as a Christian. And it's okay to have uh, political opinions and other theological opinions, but you should really take a hard look. What's your social media attitude like? Is that going to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, or is it going to turn them away? Same thing with all your interpersonal relationships and how you live your life. Honor everyone. Next is love the brotherhood. We should, as you, I hope, I've been trying, I've been convicted as I've been going through the, my first John series about the big, how big a part love is in the Christian life. It's an essential element, you might say. So love the brotherhood. We should love each other in a special way. We love everybody, but we especially love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So guess what, uh, congregation? People in our church have different political views. They might vote for different people. They might be part of even polit different political parties. And so I, you should all just be gracious. Just, just, uh, uh, just rejoice in that. I've, and you know, I, I can speak from personal experience that you can have a wonderful relationship with people who have totally different uh, views than you do politically, both in my family. I remember at my officer candidate school class, uh, a friend of mine and I were on opposite ends of the political spectrum, about as far apart as you can get. And we, people were just impressed that we were friends and we could sit down and, and discuss even hot button contentious issues rationally and respectfully. It's possible that should be our ideal. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood, don't let politics or any other preference um, uh, hurt your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God. Again, that's not like a, a terror fear. That is a reverential fear that says, the last thing I want to do is displease God. And uh, so God is always watching, and his opinion matters most. What God thinks of you matters the most, and always live in the light that God is watching, and that he is the most important person that you should please. And then finally, he says, honor the emperor. You could probably say, honor the king, honor the ruler, honor your government, honor the emperor. Of course, you know, in the immediate context, this is the Roman Empire. At, certainly not at that time, and even for many generations afterward, not run by Christians, not dedicated to a, a Christian worldview. Some, some early on concepts of the rule of law and, and liberties of citizens and stuff, but still very corrupt um, and, and downright wicked government many times. Paul, Peter says, well, honor the emperor. And of course, let's bring that home today in the United States of America. Does that just mean the president? It definitely includes the president, whether it's currently President Trump or President Obama before him. It certainly includes the executive branch of our government. But he's not the only authority under our Constitution. It includes congressmen and senators, the legislative branch of our government. And then uh, these are the people that we elect that work for us. And then, of course, there's the judicial branch and the Supreme Court that are appointed by the people we elect. We need to be praying. For all of them, we need to be honoring all of them. And then in America, we, we're a collection of 50 states. So there's governors, state legislatures, state courts as well, and even down to the local uh, town and, and city, municipal, county level. We need to honor them. Doesn't mean we can never criticize them. John the Baptist uh, publicly, likely respectfully, called out Herod for his very public adultery. Uh, so that, that doesn't mean we can never criticize leaders, but what ought to affect how we do that. Okay, that's, those are some thoughts, Faith family. I'm sorry to preach a supplemental <laughs> sermon there. But as you can tell, like, I, I, I really care about uh, 
government. I care about how Christians should think biblically about it. It's not that we, we our, our hope is in government by passing legislation, that we're hoping to usher in Christ's kingdom through our involvement in politics. Um, but it's something that we can honor God through. There's a lot of good to be done by participating in our, our, our political process and by praying for our leaders. I've encouraged some of you who are really too obsessed with cable news or with uh, keeping up with political news, maybe you shouldn't let yourself uh, watch the news until you've prayed for your elected officials. And honestly, pray for your fellow citizens, because at the end of the day, who is the ultimate uh, boss of even the president and everybody else? It's the, it's the people. So you wonder why there's gridlock in Washington. You wonder why uh, nothing ever gets done there, why people have uh, conflicting motives in Washington. Many times it's because we voters haven't made up our mind what we want either. So anyway, with that, uh, we should uh, honor our government. It's given to us by God. Uh, obviously, we owe our final loyalty to God. And especially during this COVID crisis, we just need to be sensitive to one another, um, and we need to, to have a, 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 an attitude that is governed by love. All right. I've talked way too much. Can you set me straight here? What's the question again? <laughs> question. How should we think about Christians in government, and especially in the COVID crisis? Okay. Um, so I, I, I got to kind of roll my mind back, and I'm going to approach this from a, a different angle than I ri originally um, thought about. And, and I think I'm going to do it from a leadership perspective. So um, I've served in the Army for 24 years. I'm a senior leader in the division headquarters. I've worked at the strategic levels of the Army headquarters, DEA, shaping policy that impacted a million soldiers across all three compos. And so these policy decisions are essentially um, either you know placing soldiers' lives in jeopardy or are protecting them. And so. When you stop and think about the great weight of responsibility that you bear on your shoulders as you are a leader, as you're an officer in the army, as you are you know, a fire chief, the decisions that you make every day has implications on the life of those that are, are underneath you, underneath your, your charge or your control. And so I think the same thing, the same responsibility is weighing heavy upon these government leaders that have to make the best informed decisions that they can to protect the population. And so, you know, we should be certainly, as you mentioned, praying for them. And, you know, fortunately, we have a government where we have the ability to reach out to our elected officials, to voice our opinions. We can, we can vote in November if we don't like the way things are going. There's always an opportunity for change. So I do think that we are truly blessed and we should understand that. I think oftentimes what happens with a lot of folks that I have seen who are up in arms right now is they're conflating their First Amendment rights with um, the call to assembly and scripture. And, and so they're, they're not necessarily synonymous. That's a protection given by the government. And when we think about you know, the, the topic of biblical ethics and um, civil disobedience, there's two primary reasons that we would disobey the government. One of those would be if the government told us to do something that was in clear violation of God's law. You gave an example kill of infants, yeah. kill the infants. And so like in China, they were limited for you know, having one child, anything more than that, they had to abort it. So if you were a Chinese Christian, you would be responsible to then violate that mandate, that law, and not, not do that abortion. So, so that's one where you don't do what the government's telling you if it's ungodly. Another one is if the government restricts you from doing something that God is telling you to do. And, and we think about the assembly of the church. Now, as we run through this logically, what's going on right now? As we look at it, churches are not illegal. We can still assemble yes. in America. So churches have not been banned. It's not illegal to be a Christian. 
we're not forbidden from preaching the gospel. That's right. um, in addition, we can take the gospel message and we can send it out via the airwaves and the internet. So folks are still able to hear the preaching of God's holy, inspired, and errant word um, right in their living room. So we've got that blessing as well. The rules to not assemble are not exclusive to churches. Now, there's a couple of occasions where they've overstepped, but like you said, the judicial system steps in and quickly kind of, you know, um, pulls them back into common sense. So I, I think that that's great. And there's a plan to return to normal as you look at some of these opening plans. And so, you know, this thing applies to not just the churches, but to business and everything else. So I don't think right now the churches are being targeted. Therefore, we, we don't have the right to have you know, civil disobedience in this specific occasion. Now, if we go six months down the road, if everything else is open and churches still can't, we have got a clear-cut case where we can disobey. But that's not where we're at right now. So I would you know, commend everybody to continue to pray for your elected officials, to, play for, to pray for your elders. I mean, you guys have got responsibility on your shoulders to shepherd this flock and to have safety. I mean, think about the tarnish that it would have amongst the community if, if you know, you guys were irresponsible and just opened up the doors and a bunch of folks came in here. We had an outbreak from this church. Yeah. Um, that's not loving our neighbors. So there's just a lot of considerations. What I would just ask everybody to do is to, to pray through it, to go to scripture, to seek wisdom from God and to not go with your flesh. And I, exactly. I, I think that's probably the best way to approach this. Exactly. No, that, that, that's so good. Mike, speaking yeah, of someone who's been involved in local yeah. government, well, and you've seen both sides of everything. Yeah. And I, I will echo very quickly what, what both of you said. Uh, in, in 24 years or 25 years in local government, in emergency services, where we would be the point of the spear pretty much for this type of thing. I've written policies for this type of thing also. And I understand what the purpose is. I understand that for some it would seem uh, over the top. But at the, like you said, at the end of the day, it was my responsibility the best I could to get my men and women home right. and get them home back to their families and get them safely. And I took that extremely serious because I felt like God had placed me in that position for at least partly for that purpose. Mm -hmm. So I understand that. I also understand that everybody has different opinions. I have all kinds of opinions about everything. You know the old joke about uh, opinions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But honor, like you said, and love trump mm. my opinion. Yes. Every time. And so if my opinion is, is I don't have to wear a mask, but it would cause an issue at faith family or with a brother or sister, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wear a mask over my beard. I don't know how that works, but I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Extra filters. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm gonna do that it, because that is so important to the church. Um, and and it's, it's, it's important that we set aside some of the personal opinions that we may have about these things. You know, I go back to when we talk about the big picture, when I go back to Daniel 1, Daniel didn't rebel, uh, according to Scripture, about being made in a eunuch. There's some um, uh, Deuteronomy sure type of things. But there's some things about coming to the temple, about being a, an yeah. a eunuch, correct? Right, yeah. You're unclean. Yeah. He didn't complain about his name being changed that represented a, uh, a foreign god. He didn't even complain about the area of study 
that was magical, mystical, you know, all those type pagan, of things, yeah, pagan. pagan yeah. um, he focused from chapter 1 as a young man, apparently 16, on being faithful to God. Mm. If we as individual Christians are faithful to God, a lot of this will begin to, if that's our intent, a lot of these other things will begin to fall away. Mm. Uh, my, the things that I hold uh, in, in, up in, in real importance and things like that begin to lose their value compared to being faithful to my father. Yeah. That's who I want to be. That's what I'm going to be. Connie and I have all kinds of opinions, but when we come here, we want to be uh, someone who doesn't cause division. So if it means we're in mask, if it means uh, keeping six feet away, however, whatever, not singing, whatever it is, we choose to do that. That's all I got to say. <laughs> thank, thank, you, thank you, men. Uh, appreciate that. I got one little uh, close-up question here since I monopolize so much time and everything. Um, but we've all, you and I have grown up in Christian homes. Um, Kent, you've been studying the Bible for a number of years. Uh, we've all heard Daniel preach, especially Daniel chapter 6, as mm -hmm. Dare to be a Daniel. You know, I grew up on that song, and even some people who want to love and encourage me will say, oh, I read Daniel in my devotions today, and I thought of Dare to be a Daniel like you. Like, oh, that's sweet. Um, there's lots of different ways we've heard Daniel chapter 6 preached. Uh, how is what Kyle did different, and, and uh, what's so important about that? He took me to the cross. Yeah. Mm. I mean, ultimately, that's what he does. Uh, that's what he did in, in, this, in this chapter. What is more important to me, even as a believer, than the cross? Take me to the cross every day. Mm. That, you know, that, that's, that's what I just, I want to get up and, yeah, 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 exactly. right there in the middle of the service it wouldn't be appropriate. But that's what I want to do, and so I get to do it up here. I won't mind. He doesn't mind when people preach. <laughs> a lot of people don't re realize that about yeah, Kyle. Yeah, he gets fired uh, up. Go ahead, Ken. So I, I have found that people like to have lists to do to check off yeah. that you know if they're if you're instructing them and they can do this their little real you know righteous list and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this yeah. and so we love it in the army we make an acronym out of it we're oh yeah it, you know <laughs> we're, we're great about lists and, and people people always ask me about like parameters in the Christian walk and I do think that there's a lot of freedoms that we have that are that are bought through Christ mm. and so what we're not doing is we're not advocating a checklist that you need to do to justify yourself or to appear righteous or to feel like you can commend yourself before God, what we're seeing here is we're seeing that that alien righteousness, mm. as you kind of talked about, that righteousness of Christ, and that Daniel's righteousness came to him because he trusted in the promises of God, and that's walking it forward to the cross. And, and that's why, you know, you, this text is just so amazing, the way that Kyle preached it. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, just to kind of close up, I mean, I've grown up seeing the flannel graph lessons, and hey, I don't put down flannel yeah. graphs because I heard the gospel and became a believer because of a flannel graph lesson. Um, it's just a nice little visual aid tool. Um, but I grew up on this story. I loved it, obviously, because my name is Daniel. Um, and, and so the question is like, well, should we admire Daniel at all? Should, is he an example for us at all? Absolutely. Uh, you see, like, just all through the first five chapters, we've seen Daniel's character, his devotion to God. And then here, the, the little uh, the uh, application that Kyle left out, like Daniel is in his 90s probably here, faithful to the end. He is still, even at the end of his life, he is faithful to God. And those of you who've ever been bitten by an animal or been attacked by animals, you, you maybe like me have a little bit of a visceral response. You're like, wow, that is definitely not a way to, I would want to go. You know? And Daniel didn't even hesitate. He's just like, no, I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to keep doing. And if I'm going to die by getting eaten alive by an, a lion, then 
then I'll, then I'll honor God. That's the kind of courage. So yes, by all means, uh, admire Daniel, even seek to emulate him. But then you, that leaves you the question, how do I go about it? It just seems so overwhelming. A lot of people get hung up on, would I be willing to die for Jesus? The, that isn't the question. The question is, can you live for Jesus? Yeah. And Daniel kind of points you in the right direction about how you could be the kind of person who has that kind of a courageous stand. Daniel had a big view of God. You see that all throughout this book. You're going to see it in, in the prophecies to come in the second half of Daniel. Daniel had a big view of God. And because Daniel had a big view of God, and you can see that big God throughout the whole book of Daniel, that's the kind of person who can actually take that kind of a courageous stand. So you could dare to be a Daniel, but have a big view of Daniel's God. And the best way you can do that is going through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Well, thank you, men. Appreciate that. Uh, look forward to the next time we can have one of our panel discussions. And we're praying for you, faith family. Uh, please work with your elders. And if you have any issues, anything we can be praying for you about, please reach out to us. We love you and we're praying for you. Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.